You know, every time I speak, I want the truth to come out. You know what I'm saying? Every time I speak, I want to shiver. You know, I don't want them to be like, they know what I'm going to say because it's polite. They know what I'm going to say. And even if I get in trouble, you know what I'm saying? That ain't that what we're supposed to do. It's, I'm not saying I'm going to rule the world or I'm going to change the world, but I guarantee that I will spark the, the, the brain that will change the world. Toya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, and welcome to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. We are the return of Intelligent Radio as we ensure the free flow of opinions and push the envelope on the questions America's afraid to ask in the mainstream media. Good morning to all the intellectual outcasts. You may have noticed I don't have a co-host this morning. Uh, Most of them were tied up, so I will be trying to hold this show down with Myself, along with a couple of special guests, one returning guest and one first-time guest for this morning's discussion question. If you are a first-time listener, again, I go by the name Black Socrates, so we do our show in the form of a question. Basically, consider taking the Socratic method, asking a bunch of questions to see if we can find the answers to to those issues on race, sex, culture, and African-American business. I am excited about this morning's show. And before I let the cat out the bag on the show discussion, I'm going to introduce our guest. I'm actually going to start with uh, our returning guest, Eli Marcus, uh, now author of Secure the Throne. Um, that book wasn't out the last time we had this brilliant brother on the show. Uh, but if you will, King, uh, say hello to the intellectual outcasts, as I now call my listeners. Uh, there's still truth seekers underneath all of it. But, you know, we just make some changes and, and progress the show. But, again, I'm glad to have you back. But if you will, introduce yourself. Um, to say hello to uh, the intellectual outcast and give a little bit of your background uh, before we introduce our next guest. I appreciate you for inviting me on the show, Montoya. As you said, this is uh, Eli Marcus. I'm the I'm an author of two books. I'm also a startup founder of an app called Event Snapshot, and I'm also a co-founder of an app called Alpha Tribe Signals. Um, so when you told me you had a venture capital capitalist on, I was very excited to just uh, chop it up, have a conversation with them because, uh, you know, conversations, energy exchange, information exchange, and that that could be the seed that you need to take whatever you're doing to the next level. So I appreciate you. As you know, I have tremendous respect for you 
and um, everything that you're doing. You are a master plug in the community. If anybody needs to get connected to anybody, they know to go to Montoya to get connected. So I appreciate you, and I also appreciate the guests that's on the show as well. No, absolutely. I appreciate that. I'll, I'll, I'll say this, and I think you – I say, uh, well, Eli's a – I can say a lot younger than me, but definitely uh, uh, younger than me. And I say I want to be like him when I grow up. So, so I definitely uh, have same respect to you as well, King. Um, first time guest, uh, John Hall. We've been trying to figure out a show that we can bring you on, uh, just to give a little background to you know to us getting to know each other. Introduced um, to me by one of your um, um, you know fellow people in your industry, if you will. Uh, before introducing you, just wanted to highlight that that you know we've been trying to figure out a show that we could get you on, and and what brought you was the piece that we're going to be going over, which is Eli again, and he's an author of two books here, and you he was like this this seems pretty interesting. I want to talk about it. So if you will, John, uh, John again, John Hall, if you will, introduce yourself to the intellectual outcast, give a little bit of your background, and we're glad to have you on. But thanks a lot for being with us, King. Uh, well, first of all, thank you. Um... Montoya, it's an honor to be on this show, uh, not just because I am very impressed with, you know, your 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 programming and your history uh, with this, this uh, project, but also it's an honor to be on with Eli Marcus. I've gotten a little exposure to some of his some of his work, and um, I, I find it very uh, impressive. Uh, a, a little about me, I am. Uh, co-founder and partner of a, an emerging venture capital fund called Ascendo Venture Capital. Uh, we invest in uh, emerging early stage black, Latin, and female founders that are in, engaged in uh, fintech, edtech, health tech, and other industries uh, enabled by technology. Um, we are still raising our fund at this point. Uh, I also have uh, been very much in the entrepreneurial space and in the investing space. I've, I've uh, run uh, seven different companies over my career. Two were uh, community banks. One was an angel venture capital fund, and uh, the rest were actually management consulting or real estate development consulting firms. Uh, so I'll leave it there, open to any questions about details, but Again, it's truly an honor to uh, to be on the show with with both Montoya and and Eli. So glad to have you. Um, again, glad we could you know finally work out the show that makes sense. And again, Eli, to a degree, you were that catalyst, even if unknowns to you. Uh, but yeah, it sounds like we're going to have an, an enjoyable conversation. And that's all it is. It's really just um, uh, dialogue. And again, we call it mental dialogue for a reason. Um, the idea is if you can, if we can improve the conversation inside of your own head, you will be better, and therefore the community is better. And so we try to have these conversations, and I consider this one, and, and, and have high expectations for this conversation, high-level conversation. But the way I always start the show, and again, I usually have a co-host to help kind of kick off so that, you, that we keep it in mind. But it's pretty simple. Uh, Eli, I'm going to come back to you, go back to you. And so, um, again, you knew we were, in a sense, going to highlight something that you, you've written, and we'll get into that after this break. Uh, but I always have to come up with a way I want to word the show, if you will, in a sense, the marketing question. So when I said, hey, you know, you'd already agreed to be on the show, you didn't know what I was going to entitle it. So you probably saw it in the last few days. Can we train our seeds to be generational wealth holders? When you actually saw how I decided to market the show, that question, what was the first thing that popped in your head? 
Um, I love the word seed, Montoya. You know, it's just like, can we train our seed? And then you said you had a venture capitalist on the show um, who traditionally specializes in providing seed capital. So I love the correlation between can we train our seed and seed capital. Um, so that was the first thing that came to mind. I, I noticed those two connections because I think the same way a venture capitalist treats an investment opportunity, we should treat our children in terms of us pouring into it, providing support, infrastructure, information, um, routine, disciplines, templates about policies and um, how to, to best develop a company, how to pivot when something's not working. I think those are the same, some of the same techniques um, that would benefit parents in training their seeds. And looking at it the same way, many of the same traits of how you treat an investment opportunity, you have to treat the children the same way. So I was excited, and th- that correlation was phenomenal to me. It was better than poetry. Now, I love it, man, and I, and I, I definitely received that. Um, I'm, I'm about to be a first-time author soon enough here or whatever, but as you know, you don't have to publish a book to be a writer. Writer's rights, that's what we do. So dope to hear that you know that you, thought, you caught that connection. Uh, we got about a minute, uh, John, so if you could keep yours real short. Same question to you, and we'll go, we always start this way. We just start with the first thought of the question, and then we'll go to a break. Um, so you, when you saw the question, you didn't know how I was going to market the question either. You just knew you were coming on this show. Can we train our seeds to be generational wealth holders? When you first saw that question, what can you recall what popped in your head? Well, first, I love the question. Uh, second, uh, my the first thing I thought about was, you know, we don't really have any choice. But to do that because, you know, you talk about the correlation with venture capital deals. If you if you have a, a certain product that we'll call high educational product that requires people to change their, their habits, it requires a lot of education to get people to change their habits. And it's also, for this, it's both habits, values, and, and uh, mindset. And and so uh, I think it's in, invaluable that we have programs like this that help people understand the education level required to make this change and, and to engage in this in this game, I'll call it. Oh, I love it. Perfect timing. We're up against the break. We'll be right back. When we come back, we'll get hot and heavy into this morning's discussion question. Can we train our seeds to be generational wealth holders with special guests Eli Marcus as well as John Hall will be right back where all I ask is that you think hey Smith where you find that Prince Final of the Times on vinyl at real talk you got a dope vinyl collection what you been collecting them like over the years or something no actually I just started my collection but my man Tobago over at DBS Sounds he be hooking me up you remember DBS Sounds on the south side they still around I figured most of the record stores in Atlanta be closed by now. Hey, vinyl is the new wave, and DBS Sounds got the best collection in town. You can still go there and flip through vinyl. They still got CDs and mixtapes, too. Let me check their IG page at DBS Sounds ATL. They still be having artists in stores and everything. Hey, you want to run by there? Hey, man, I ain't got time right now. I got to go back to Cali tomorrow, but I might have to catch them next time. I'm in. Oh, nah, you good. Even when you get home, you can just shop at their online store at dbssounds.com. They'll ship directly to you anywhere in the country. Matter of fact, jump on dbssounds.com on your phone and order straight from there. Word? Hey, I'm about to get my music game up. Hey, what's their address? In case I get a chance to swing by there, I'm, I'm going to pick up that new Kendrick Lamar CD. Oh, they at 6604 Highway 85, Riverdale, Georgia. Bet. He's rich. He is rich. What? He got his own money. 
And baby, when I tell you he's got his own money, I mean the boy has got his own money. Hmm? You did it this time. You hit the jackpot. Welcome back to Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I am your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. This morning's discussion question, can we train our seeds to be Generational Wealth Holders, special guest Eli Marcus, author of Secure the Throne, as well as venture capitalist John Hall. Quick little funny cut from Coming to America for those who know that reference. But to get into this morning's discussion, um, I wanted to share the initial part of the the post that made me say, let's do this show. And again, this is a post, if you don't follow Eli Marcus, highly recommend it, um, that I saw on Facebook and I wrote a, used a piece of this for the promotions, but I'm going to start here and get both of your thoughts. Um, actually, John, I'll start with you. I would like to hear Eli to get, hear a response to somebody, hear, a response to how somebody hears his writing before he tells us his thoughts behind this. So it's, the thought was, never base your roadmap to success and wealth based on the behavior and spending habits of second or third generation inheritance babies. It is the habits and mentality of the first generation that builds wealth. 99.9% of the second and third generation of inheritance offsprings spends it all and destroys the family wealth empire. That 0.1% that survives and maintains the family wealth makes it to the fourth generation with wealth and expansion operations. Stop taking wealth advice from second and third generation wealth holders. They are usually on their way to becoming broke, even if they live their life, entire life in luxury while leaving an empty bank account due to horrible spending habits to their children and grandchildren. Those wealth-building first generations and fourth generations, though, that's where the bars on bars on bars are at. So, John, if you will, just a response to that, uh, the initial opening to the piece that intrigued both of us very much. Well, uh, my first response is that uh, it seems to be based on both uh, – decent amount of, 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 of research, but also a good deal of wisdom um, because, uh, you know, and I, I, I don't want to try to get into the, the, the statistics because I think, you know, different mm-hmm. demographic groups, different levels of success. But uh, if we're talking about the black community, uh, it is, it's not even just the black community, even in the white community, mm-hmm. uh, Second and third generation uh, do tend to waste and dissipate the the inheritance from the first generation, and uh, you know it is there's a long list of reasons that I think are also addressed by Eli, but uh, you know as far as I'm concerned, uh, you know and and it's not to blame the second and third generation, it's just the reality that if they have not been been, been educated, I, I go back to this high education requirement, if they've not been ed- educated, that, you know, how did the first generation build that wealth to begin with? It was through a lot of discipline, a lot of hard work, you know, a whole career's worth of, of accumulation of wealth and then figuring out how to, to keep it and not spend it, and that takes a lot of discipline. But if, if the first generation doesn't train, literally train, the second and third generation on how to do the same thing the first generation does, then, then the second generation is not going to know how to do it. It's, it's like, uh, you know, uh, you know, 
throwing a kid in the water when he doesn't know how to swim. You mm-hmm. wouldn't do that. You wouldn't. You wouldn't give a keys to the car to a kid and tell him to go out in traffic and, and drive the car. You you take him to a parking lot and train him first on how to drive a car when there's no no risk of an accident. And that's the same thing with generational wealth. You pass on, you know, large amounts of money to someone who has not been disciplined and how I got that money to begin with, advisedly here. But, you know, in perspective, how the first generation got that money and then how to keep it, they are going to lose it. And I think Eli used the word, they're going to go broke. Well, uh, I wouldn't use that term, but it's essentially correct. <laughs> it may take them a whole a whole generation to lose it, but if they don't have the discipline, if they don't lose it and they don't know how to train the third generation to maintain it, then the third generation will lose it. So I totally agree with his statement, and um, I, I like the way he, he put it uh, very concisely. Uh, fair enough. Well, let's talk to the, the author himself. Um, yeah, I think uh, John just highlights ultimately – Yes, they would inevitably use it, lose it if they have not been trained. And to his point, not their own fault. But again, you open with observation and be careful where you're getting your information from. And so, yeah, if you're not thinking about it, just looking at the fact that you know somebody who may be a second or third generation wealth holder, you may think there is advice to dean, but they themselves have not been trained, and we're not looking into their bank accounts. So, to a degree, I think that's what you're aptly pointing out with the opening of this piece. So yeah, Eli, let me op- you know, let me get into throwing my few thoughts into what I what I saw in this opening. But if you will, let's go let's go behind the scenes. What have your observations been? What prompted you to even, as you call these, download this and, and share with the rest of the world? So um, your thoughts on it, King? Absolutely. So you know, um, as you know, Montoya, I'm an entrepreneur. Um, two of my biggest projects right now is Event Snapshot and Alpha Tribe Signals which is a, a project that I uh, co-own with my business partner, Raheem Cannon. So on, on this journey, since I've been an entrepreneur over the last, since I was like 20, 21, what I've learned over this, the last 10, 15 years is survival instincts. That means the ability to recognize opportunities, uh, money opportunities, investment opportunities on any level. I don't care if it's a $100 investment, $1,000, $20,000, or 50 but you have to be able to recognize opportunity, and that takes time. You have to build up that sort of, that sort of uh, survival instinct. And I think where a lot of first-generation people drop the ball is they don't pass that survival instinct on to their children because they want to provide their children the absolute best life with no pain, um, no sense of poverty. They always have everything to their, to their beck and call. And this is usually because the first generation grew up uh, with hard times. Uh, they, they grew up, they, they understand how that is. And what they wanted to give their family more than anything was a life without pain, a life without trauma, and a life without financial issues. And sometimes that ends up spoiling their offspring um, who doesn't have that survival instinct. So that's why they drop the bag. All they know how to do is spend money. They don't know how to recognize the opportunity in a casual mm-hmm. conversation with someone at lunch. Someone who might say, yeah, you know, there's a property down there. They're selling it 50% off because no one won't buy it. And they can't connect the dots like, hey, I need a warehouse to sell this. They're not doing that. They're not thinking like that. They're thinking something else. Um, So that's number one. Number two, family. I think it's so important as we build wealth, we develop relationships with other families that share our core values. Maybe not all of our values, but those really, really important ones, wealth building, um, decency, uh, uh, being polite, having manners, uh, being value-producing. 
uh, those core values. Um, and, and for many people, it's, you know, having God in your life or having a sense of, of a moral compass, and a code of which is very important. So I think you need, you know, we talk about building alliances with other men and other, other business professionals. We need to build alliances with families, with entire families, uh, where there's like routine, like we might meet up with them every year for a barbecue or whatever. Here's the thing. When you build relationships with families and you have those core values, especially as it relates to wealth building, your children are going to be playing with their children and they're going to be talking about opportunities together because that's the culture of both of your families. Um, so I think that's an added mm-hmm. layer of security that a lot of first-generation people drop the ball on. No, I love it. Um, John, I'll jump it right back over to you as you hear him kind of explain his his thoughts behind the opening of his piece. We're definitely going to get into the steps a little later in the show. So, Okay, I think um, Montoya may have just dropped off for a second, but I'd be happy to pick up uh, on uh, Eli's comments. I totally agree with you, Eli. And, you know, uh, they, I will say one of the advantages that many folks in uh, particularly lower middle-income families, just it, we, don't, we don't have the, the benefit of, of learning at the dining room table like the households of, of you know, folks who have an entrepreneur at the head of the house They've been learning at the dinner table for years and, and and previous generations, and so they don't have to have the same access to the best schools, although they tend to have them, uh, because they've been learning it in the family setting. So what you're saying about, uh, you know, you, you as an entrepreneur learn kind of on the job how to access opportunities, and that's what I mean about, you know, Building all that wealth over the career, uh, and and uh, you know meeting up with other families who have similar values. I, I mentioned the three three kind of pillars of of the generational wealth building, which is values, uh, mindset, and and um, uh, trying to remember the third one. Uh, Values, mindset, and and uh, uh, and you know when you mentioned the code of honor, you know you know God in your life, these are the kinds of values that make a difference. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the book by uh, Mr. Stewart of Living by the Good Book, who who gave fifty, I think fifty two different lessons that led him to be a, the number one largest black-owned business and black enterprise magazine, and every single one of them was based on a scripture from the Bible. So a lot of people, you know, kind of wonder if business and and spirituality, you know, are different and and aren't necessarily connected. Very, very many of our most successful entrepreneurs throughout history were very spiritual. spiritual. And uh, it just so happens that this gentleman who's ranked number one, uh, you know, wrote a book about it but um so i i really appreciate your being so forthcoming about the importance of spirituality and um you know i think you're right on absolutely um uh, i'm not sure if Montoya is on but I, I'll i'm back in fine. i'm back in thank you yeah, okay really, all right, Montoy, I, <laughs> it's funny i said I'll it happened three times so here's number four i got knocked off 
So now thank y'all for holding it. Now thank y'all for holding it down. So glad I gave those instructions. Uh, but yeah, yeah, go ahead and Eli, just kind of go where you're at, so I can kind of pick up where y'all are at. I don't want to interrupt too much, but yeah, I'm back on. Go ahead, Keith. No, I was just saying, you know, I, I totally agree, John. And um, just to add on to that, I think as entrepreneurs, especially if we're talking about it in context of minority communities, the black community, one thing that I would encourage other entrepreneurs to do as you explore business opportunities, try to target opportunities that also uniquely positively impacts other people where they're able to make money, build wealth as well. Um, an example of that, like, for example, the, uh, the platform that I own, Alpha Tribe Signals, stock traders can send out their stock signals to their followers who might be paying them a few hundred dollars a month to also trade the same signal and also profit um, or sports bettors or cryptocurrency traders. So they're building wealth as a group. It's a form of like group economics. So I always encourage entrepreneurs to try to look for ways to include their community or to have a course of action for people that they know in their family, for their community, where they can make money together. And it's easy for someone to kind of hop on and benefit and leverage the knowledge and insight of someone who's already done the work. Um, I think that's very important. So I think that was an excellent point, John. Now, sounds great from, uh, coming from both of you. We've actually got a couple of callers out there. Um, some people listen via the phone. So for the people that are on the phone line, just in case, if you're looking to get in or ask a question of both of our guests, you do need to press 1 if you're just enjoying via the phone, no problem. For the people online, if you want to get in on this discussion this morning, please give us a call at 646-787-1691. Again, that's 646 787 one six nine one. You do have to press one to let us know you want to speak. So first time callers sometimes tell, call, tell me after the show. I wanted to talk. I said you never press one. <laughs> so just make sure you're pressing the one if you're trying to get in. Um, now loving loving the conversation. Um, and and I, then I kind of got knocked off a little bit. So me picking up on what I think I'm hearing. Um, I hear the word synergy in some of again not hearing everything that both of you said. Um, but synergy is kind of what I'm picking up on. And funny thing, I was at a, a, a an event. Last night, let me shout out to Sober of Black uh, Society of Black Agents. Last night, we had the, both the founders of that um, organization on last week as we were discussing leaving an inheritance in the first place. So I actually consider this morning show a build on last Saturday's show. We usually spread our shows out, but it just ended up timing out to where it was a build. But I remember um, when we were after the event and we were at dinner. And I mentioned to one of the younger sisters that I wanted to connect with her because we had some similar things. She has a, a brunch group. I, I used to have a dinner club as part of the Mental Dialogue Community Club, and she specializes in putting on events. I was like, hey, you, hey, I'll give you that whole leg. Let's just link up. Throw my name on it. It's your event. Do it how you want. Let's link up. I said, because a part of the thing that we've tried to teach over the years inside of the Mental Dialogue Community Club is synergy. And believe it or not, I mean, Eli, I would love for you to speak to this. I don't think people naturally understand synergy. It sounds easy. I want to collaborate, but in a lot of cases, uh, my own personal egos, if you will, often block having synergy and even understanding what synergy looks like. I think you speak to that quite often. So I think I'm in the right place because, again, I caught the tail end of what you and John were talking about. But if you can even just speak to the idea of, as you say, I encourage entrepreneurs to do it, but about, what about the how-to and understanding synergy? Because, again, I see it get messed up a lot of times more than be successful on a good collabo or just even understanding that a collabo is it's time to come to an end. Sometimes people even miss on that part. Go ahead, King. 
Right, absolutely. Um, so, you know, synergy is very important. And all that means is someone is headed in one direction, you're headed in a certain direction, and by you all doing business together or working together, you can get to your direct where you're going, your destination, even faster. Um, by coming together, working together, they're doing their part, you're doing your part, you create a bridge. That's what synergy is. It's about creating a bridge. And then you find out what value they have that you need and what value do you have that they need. Um, and then you make that exchange. So when you're in life and you're in the marketplace and you're conversing with people, it's so important to try to find out where that those synergy points are at. Um, so I would encourage people to have like a top three or four things that they're in the marketplace for and, and try to find a way to present it in a way that's natural, that's polite, but that's also um, inviting them to share where they're at in their life and what are they looking for and how can you add value. And also, this isn't, doesn't always have to be just strictly business and money related. Mm-hmm. Um, synergy can be a social thing. Synergy can just be, you know, someone makes you laugh. They, they just have the best jokes in the world. And because your mood is improved, you end up being more productive that day. Um, so synergy works in so many different ways. You just have to, you have to really pay attention to value. The focus is value, not always money, but it is value. Money is value, but money is not the only form of value. No, I love it. Um, one quick thought, if you will, John, about, again, just assuming the circles that you kind of move through and, as again, having had your hand in seven different companies, um, the thing that Eli just talked about, I would agree, is a high, a high point in the education of even how to do this, whether it's building wealth and maintaining wealth, it's the understanding of relationships. And, when, and, and, and again, if that second or third generation hasn't taken some advantage or have been trained in what that even looks like, that's still a miss. Again, we're talking about this, again, the high level of education to include these nuanced aspects. So just one quick thought on the idea of moving inside of circles and understanding how the relationships are, how you build and maintain your wealth, if you will. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll dial back to the issue of synergy, uh, you know, because in uh, the field of mergers and acquisitions, it has a specific kind of meaning, which is, you know, uh, to put it uh, shortly, uh, one plus one equals three. When one plus one equals three, there's, there's synergy. Or if you merge two companies and say both of them have a CFO, well, you don't need but one CFO, so you have a cost reduction by letting one CFO go, and, and those reductions are considered forms of synergy. Nice. Uh, and you might have you know, two different call centers in, in, in each of these two companies. And, and so you, you only need one. So every time you have a cost reduction, that's considered a synergy. But I totally agree with, with Eli that, um, you know, synergy doesn't have to be about money. Uh, you know, many, when, when Amazon acquired, you know, Whole Foods, Whole Foods had a, a, an incredible culture. Which what what I call 360, 360 degree stakeholder culture, where they were providing a value proposition of equal importance to their customers, their suppliers, their their employees, their stockholders, every all of their stakeholders. Culture, frankly, uh, in the eyes of many, was superior to Amazon, and so we're not sure which rubbed off on which the most. <laughs> I hear it's the reverse, but that said, the the the, the potential synergy wasn't as much about money as mm-hmm. it was about what we learn from the way Whole delivers its service. 
Right. It makes um, sense. It makes sense. Let me jump to this break um, real quick, if you will, John, and I want to um, bring a little bit in from last Saturday's show just to hear y'all thoughts. Again, that was more about leaving an inheritance, and I think it's just a slight foundation to continue building on preparing the next generation. So we'll hear a commercial, and the cut will be specifically something that was said at last Saturday's show, and I want to hear both of your thoughts on it. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. Do you need marketing designed specifically to compete in today's digital age? Well, look no further than Edge Digital Business Solutions, a marketing agency that's well-equipped to provide solutions to the challenges faced by businesses looking to acquire and retain customers in today's ultra-competitive marketing world. Whether it's video creation, website or logo design, mobile app development, social media and email marketing, or e-commerce design and development, Edge Digital Business Solutions has the answer. Visit them at EmoreEdgeDBS.com. That's E-M-O-R-E-J-D-B-S.com. Or call 864-221-3632. That's 864-221-3632. Emoreds Digital Business Solutions. We're the solution to your marketing challenges. about life insurance if you can't do anything else you need to get life insurance because all you are doing is perpetuating the cycle of brokenness and not having enough in a scarcity mindset in our community if you can afford to go get some scratch off a couple of times a month if you can eat out a couple of times a month then you can look into a term policy for enough to make sure that your house gets paid off, that your car gets paid off. Because once you pass away, those obligations fall to your family to try to secure, to make sure that everything keeps going the way that it should. And if we are not taking care of those things, if we are not making sure that the house is paid off once you pass away or that the only car that our house uses is paid off and is titled correctly, you set it up that your kids, your your husband, your partner, whoever, now they're having to repeat the exact same cycle that you were going through because there was no protection. Life insurance for our community should not be optional. It should not be we're just relying on the ones that we have at work. That's sick. I'm happy that it's available for you. But in order for us to move forward as a community, one, not only do we have to keep having these conversations, but two, it should be a requirement that we have for each other, a standard that we are holding each other to, to get life insurance. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. This morning's discussion question, can we train our seeds to be generational wealth holders? Special guest, author of Secure the Throne, Eli Marcus, as well as venture capitalist John Hall, as you hear a passionate call-in from actually one of my gold members and queen of intellect members who, in case if you're a regular listener, I am missing a queen of intellect member today. I was not able to get one on, so hopefully we're holding it down and the ladies are not upset with me for not having a woman's voice, which I tried to have on every show, but we weren't able to pull it off this morning. But I cut Ashley in, so that's, you know, again, the lady's voice, but very passionate, passionate call last week as we were discussing leaving an inheritance, just the idea of ensuring the standard of 
in life insurance at a minimum. I highlight this as a possible build on this show from this standpoint, if you will. And, um, John, I'll start with you. So I'm highlighting that passionate cut from Ashley from this standpoint. So when you put out a show like this, Generational Wealth, I think people's mind to a degree go to, in a sense, the top 10% of the top 15% or whatever the case may be, those who have, quote, unquote, a significant amount to leave. And so they say, oh, that, they might think that conversation is for, for people, if you will, in, the, in that bracket or whatever. Based on my life, I don't have much. I don't know if I have a lot to learn from that. And so how I highlight this is if anyone out there listens to what Ashley said, especially within the African-American community, if we were to ensure, one, that we all have life insurance and not just bury your insurance, which was what we talked about last week, there are means and avenues for even those without a quote-unquote a lot of money currently that with the one generation of sacrifice, they can ensure that their next generation, in fact, does have money. And so they could take today's education despite where they're currently at because the things that we're going to read about in Eli's piece, the steps apply if you have anything to leave. So you don't have to be in that top 10, 15% to learn today. That's, what I, that's why I wanted to use that cut. Your thoughts, John? Well, first, uh, I totally agree, you know, that top 10%, uh, which is what a lot of folks think of the wealthy. You don't, you don't have to have a specific amount of money to be considered wealthy, you know, uh, and you definitely don't need to be a millionaire or billionaire to be wealthy. Uh, and you, you certainly don't need to be wealthy to justify life insurance. Life insurance, I think the lady said it, it should be mandatory. I, you know, it, it's hard to make spending money on anything mandatory, but I definitely agree that it should be, you know, very, very high on your priority list that, the people I know in the, you know, in the financial advisory business, say just the first thing you should do is pay yourself first. Mm-hmm. Okay, is savings. You know, put some savings in an account through, which is really based on a, a budget as well. But you know, you you put put savings account every single payday. But beyond that, uh, you 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 need to protect everyone in your family from having come out of pocket when you pass on. So life insurance is, is definitely, um, you know, uh, very, very high priority as far as I'm concerned. No, I love it. Eli, do you see that correlation again? I'm just using it as a foundational build on today's show. It's just one reminding people, Hey, you too can have access, especially your next generation too. So let's say, even if you, in a sense, don't reach, in a sense, a quote-unquote high worth within your own lifetime. You've worked all your life, and you've been able to survive and do okay, but maybe, in a sense, there's not, a, a, in a sense, a lot in mind. But if you understood insurance, there's a, a nice opportunity to add an influx to whatever you've already built. And to a degree, you, as, if you're in that position, you might think, well, I don't have a lot to teach my generation, but if you're going to leave them the significant sum of money, the things that you are talking about today still apply. So I wanted to make that connection for those who hear the term generational wealth and say, oh, that doesn't apply to me. So um, your thoughts on just making that correlation and using it as a foundation for the rest of today's discussion? 
Right. I think it's important to practice. Um, life insurance is important, but even before life insurance, you have, you know, learning better financial habits is important. Mm-hmm. Getting into the habit of looking for investment opportunities outside mm-hmm. of life insurance, where the money, where the money moves faster, and you can kind of enjoy it a little bit today. Um, yeah, absolutely. Because that's important. Because you, you know, you can't. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you can, you can have the life insurance and um, not do anything else today. But if you don't have the education, if you're not receiving a return on some kind of investment today, what that means is even if you're able to leave your family money after you die, if, they are, if they're not educated on how to uh, invest money and how to use money and how to put money to work, within five years, they're probably, they, they may likely spend it all right. um, if you're not careful. So then it's like, okay, you paid this life insurance bill for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, whatever, um, and now there's nothing to show for five, ten years after your death. So what's the value of that? Not saying that that's the case for everybody. I just want people to be aware um, of the full story of how it plays out for many people because it does play out that way. They get right. a large lump sum, and their family squanders the money, um, and there's nothing left. And then it's like, okay, you did, you saved up for 40 years for that lump sum to come in. So it's, my point is education, financial education. Putting money to work, I'm really big on putting your money to work. Very exactly. I'm always always preaching that. Put your money to work. Put your money to work. Don't just let it sit. Don't just let it settle. Do something to put it to work. I don't care. It, and it doesn't have to be a major investment. It could be something small. You could just buy three lawnmowers and just rent it out to, you know, um, men who may be having a hard time and say, hey, look, here's a lawnmower. I'm going to rent this out to you. Pay me this much a week. Um, and you go out there and cut grass and earn yourself a living. And when you're able to make enough to buy your own lawnmower, you can do that. And that can be your operation. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Where you make a you know a couple thousand dollars, whatever. So on a small level and on a major level, it's very important to get into the habit of putting your money to work. Um, so I would not advise anyone to just solely rely on life insurance because it's too. It, it's not. It doesn't penetrate your mind enough. And if it's not penetrating your mind and your spirit, you, you're not having those conversations about financial education and your family that you're leaving money to, if they're not educated and prepared and if they don't see the big picture, they're going to squander the money a few years after you're dead. No, absolutely. And the, and the latter of what you're saying was definitely, in a sense, my focus or whatever, just bringing that, you know, to the table. And absolutely, um, you know, thanks for that warning, in a sense. We're definitely not encouraging to solely rely. And, you know, as people get to different means, they have different ways that they even handle their wealth, if you will. But, again, just the thought to make sure you understand it. Yeah, in the event that you're going to leave something, today's conversation matters. We've got actually a caller that wants to get in. All right. Area code 352 Last three six five zero. Give us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents on this morning's discussion. Greeting panel. My name is Pastor Don Jr. CEO. I'm calling from Sunny Mesa, Arizona. It's hot, 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 and just <laughs> like this topic, man. I, y'all are really talking some great knowledge and great information. I just want to give y'all kudos because I love the show. I come and get a lot of good information. So that's all I have to say, bro. Oh, yeah, we take kudos. Anybody else want to call in with more kudos? We with that. Thank you. Thank you, <laughs> Pastor Dunn. Appreciate you, King. Uh, that's good stuff. For the other callers out there, yeah, all you do is press one. If you're just listening, no problem. Anybody else online, the number is 646-787-1691. Again, 646-787-1691. I'm going to read another quick pace um, um, that Eli said to kind of close out this segment. We'll go to a break. And then we'll get into the actual steps 
that Eli recommends for training, if you will, the next generation. Uh, this, and this is a continuation of what I read earlier. It just highlights the second and third generation wealth holders have distorted mainstream beliefs surrounding wealth and luxury, especially as it relates to mating, lifestyle, and family building. If you are a first-generation wealth holder, your best chance to prepare your offsprings not to destroy the empire, and that will come after the break. The steps to keeping the empire that you are looking to build and take advantage of teaching your next generation to see opportunities, as you hear Eli beautifully pointing out this morning. All right, we'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. Again, for the callers, you do have to press one if you want to get in. Just want to remind you. Have you heard about that podcast, Mental Dialogue? It's so good, it should be illegal. But if you miss the live show every Saturday, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Blog Talk Radio, be sure to catch replays on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, and all other streaming platforms. We are the return of Intelligent Radio, and we are the best in the world at having hard conversations on race, sex, gender, and business in the African-American community. And remember, all I ask is that you think. LNG Technology Services, we are your industry leader in aircraft and heavy equipment repair services. In commercial business for over 15 years, LNG technicians have over 150 years of equipment-specific knowledge and are known industry-wide for returning worn-out, broken, and overused ground support equipment back to the user in working better than new conditions. For a service job done right at a value unparalleled in the industry, contact LNG Technology Services at 478 781 Four eight six zero. Again, for a service job done right, that number is 478-781-4860. LNG Technologies is a Mental Dialogue Gold member and proud sponsor of the Mental Dialogue community. I actually need to highlight that LNG Technologies is now a black level member and part of our MD Mastermind. Um, John, our special guest, John, has been a part of one of our masterminds. We have one actually tomorrow night discussing business acquisitions, which just to highlight this very briefly, is the idea of instead of the heart, you know the blood and sweat of building your own business, why not buy a, a, a business that has some level of success with an re- obvious return on investment? People may be looking to get out of that business, whether through retirement or just tired of doing it. And so it'll be some discussions about how to purchase um, a business. We have one mastermind member who's done it and a couple who are on the verge of doing it. So it should be a very interesting conversation. Those are invite-only black-level memberships. Go to mentaldialogue.com to get more info on that. This morning's discussion question, can we train our seeds to be generational health wealth holders. Our special guest is Eli Marcus as well as John Hall as we're about to highlight the steps that Eli Gladly downloaded and presented to all of us on Facebook, and I said, let's go a little deeper. And so we're going to get into the actual steps 
in a sense, to train the next generation. Eli, you've already mentioned one of them um, already was the idea of not spoiling the next generation. So I don't think we'll go too deep of it. That was number their number one step. Don't spoil them, the next generation, the offsprings. And so, again, you've already mentioned that. So we'll start with number two. Number two, you say live below your means and expose them to a lifestyle where they interact with common people in a safe fashion. Please go into details. I think I definitely understand what you mean by safe fashion, but if somebody's never heard that, if you don't mind, definitely delve into that portion of that comment as well. Go ahead, King. Absolutely. Uh, so I, I think it's important that children, and even children of parents who may be wealthy or whatever, are exposed to just everyday people. Um, it's important that they learn, that they see the struggles of other people, um, and that they help where they can, not be not to be taken advantage of, but that they understand the world that they live in, um, but in a safe fashion. That means give them just enough, not too much, because if you give them too much, they're going to get traumatized by those people, and you can't, you can't have that. Um, so you want them to be informed about the world around them, but you don't want them to be targeted by the world around them. Um, so I think, uh, you know, a playground or uh, some sort of community um, outreach where you're meeting the neighborhoods, you're meeting other people, you're having those conversations, um, safe environments like that, youth programs, safe environments like that, where you're exposing them to their environment, mm-hmm. but there's supervision, there's supervision, and you're making sure that they're not being traumatized by troubled people, but they're at least being exposed to troubled people in a way where they're collecting information. Um, they're able to know how they can assist the world around them, and it gives them a measurement tool to see just how blessed they are. Nice. No, I like it. Um, John, your thoughts to just that point. We're going to kind of just, the next couple of seconds, we're going to just kind of go through these steps, break by, you know, step by step and just get your thoughts on it. Um, But anything to add to that, um, John? You know, there's not much I can add. I mean, I I basically agree. I don't want to say I agree with it, like this, but so far that's what's happening. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's not. A, yeah, we don't have to. We don't have to add just to add. Right, that ain't how we move here. Um, you know, just yeah. to hear ourselves talk. So now, absolutely, we appreciate that. Again, yeah, if you could add something, absolutely, please do so. Uh, matter of fact, I'll turn this next one. Um, just hear your thoughts on. Again, you've read this for yourself, so we'll start with you on this one. Number three, uh, Eli writes. Highlight the value and the importance of maintaining healthy relationships with people as a higher value than money. Your thoughts on that one, John? Well, you know, uh, I I think of myself as a culture-oriented entrepreneur, and this to me is, uh, you know, very similar to what, what we try to create in the culture of a business, and that is, you know, high levels of respect for everyone, you know, uh, customers who may be uh, a little uh, unruly, uh, employees mm-hmm. that may be having a hard day, but giving everybody a level of respect, cordiality, courtesy, you know, uh, everybody in, embracing integrity. And and um, uh, so to me, uh, this what he's talking about doing, you know, in, in the family world, I see very similar to what should happen in a, in a uh, you know, in a corporate environment. And I, I, I totally, totally support it. Absolutely. Um, Eli, any thoughts, too? Again, this is your number three of things 
um, people who have wealth or want to teach the next generation uh, to maintain any wealth that's left to them or that you have and don't want it squandered. Um, again, just for anybody that may just be tuning in, just let them know what we're doing. Um, any thoughts um, to your to you writing that number three? Yeah, absolutely. Just I think relationships with people are, especially people you're aligned with, um, are more. That's just more important than money. Um, so what that means for a lot of people is just because the, that big house is available across town, um, but it's, it's going to disconnect you from the community of people that you receive so much value from, so much love from, that your children receive value from, that your wife receives value from. Think about things like that. What type of social environment are you moving into? Just because that house is available at a good rate doesn't mean you should get it because it's like, wow, it's a much bigger Whatever it you know, and that's just a small mm-hmm. example. Whatever it is, what I'm trying to say is keep in mind the social relationship value of where you're at and never trade that off for more, whether it's more money, more whatever, um, if you're not going to get that there too. And, you know, you have to kind of uh, use this advice intelligently because sometimes you right. do need to take a leap and, and do right. something daring and just discover things. So you, if it resonates with you, then it's for you. But if it doesn't, then, you know, you do what the Spirit is telling you to do. No, absolutely. And, again, I understand you're just trying to keep it balanced. It makes me – what comes to my mind, um, Colin Cowherd, if you're familiar with, big-time sports uh, broadcaster, one of my favorites. And I think I'm quoting him correctly with this. Um, but he said, uh, you know, in his trajectory or whatever, becoming one of the top sports um, personalities in, in that world, if you will, and, you know, he always highlights different places he went for his career to become who he is. Uh, he said, but the thing that he think he learned the best, even in deciding to whether to take a better, you know, another opportunity or not, he said that what he learned and he recommends to everyone is never leave happy for better. Capsulates what you just said the best, in my opinion. Uh, just a quick thought on that, and we'll go to number four, um, Eli. But I like that. I like framing it that way, never leave. Um, happy for better. Just a quick thought on that, if you will. Yeah, you know, that's it. I mean, I think that's perfect. I think it's a short, sweet, and simple, and I totally agree. That sounds good. Number four, you write, do not tell your children you're wealthy until they're an adult or simply never. Go ahead and jump into that one yourself, Eli. Um, that's just a personal uh, belief of mine. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think it's a, it's not relevant. You know what I'm saying? You want them to be tapped into Because you don't want, for me, you know, just my philosophy, you don't want them to tie their worth to who their parents are or how much money their parents have. I just can't see anything positive coming from that. You want them to tie their worth to their work ethic and to what they're able to produce and to their relationships and what they're able to do with their communities, their team-building abilities, pursuing a vision and seeing the fruit of that vision. If you substitute that with, oh, we have a lot of money and we're important because of that, um, I, I just I can't see that really molding a human being towards something more positive when they learn to lean on this this thing. This oh, we have materials, we have money, so that makes us there's this accomplishment. I want my children to feel accomplished because of other things that they had a hand in contributing towards building. Um, I think just from a character perspective, that's that's just important to me. No, I love it. I think I don't know how old Shaq's children. I think they, they, they're kind of older now. And I don't know, in the way I took this comment from him, um, so it might have been similar to following your edict. I don't think he told his children this when they were young. Well, they couldn't have been young because 
the way he said it, they had to be old enough to understand this. And he said he made it very clear, and Jack has plenty of children, but he's made it very clear, especially to his sons, we're not rich. And the, and he goes on to further say what his expectations were for them on their own before they would ever might even have access. And there was a lot of things that he expected of them, and in a sense that they should generate their own based on understanding there is no reliance on what I have built up. He applied it a little different to his daughters, but to his sons, they were clearly made to understand they are not rich. Uh, John, your thoughts on uh, Eli's, as he said, a personal edit of, of how he feels about sharing that type of information with you if you've already gained some level of wealth and, and not highlighting that for those children because how he thinks it makes, you know, in a sense, them turn out based yeah. on... Yeah, go ahead, John. And I'm not trying to say I'm all that wealthy, but I will say that youth these days are very smart and sophisticated. And uh, I, I don't think it's really possible to hide it from them, whether you say it to them or not. I think what, what you know, to, to, to get to, to Eli's main point, I think the key is to provide them with, you know, those, those family meetings and, and constant reiteration of the perspective of wealth and, and not let wealth go to their head. And, you know, I, I talked, I talked to my granddaughter about, you know, look, you, you get a lot of attention because, you know, you're attractive and, you know, she's a great dancer and she's kind of what, what a lot of people call the it girl. So it's really important that you maintain your humility and don't let it go to your head and don't let it be that since you're getting all this attention, you're better than others. And I think, you know, the, the key is the same way as it relates to wealth. You know, we need to have those, those conversations about, you know, the habits of, of, of that are required to, to create generational wealth, the habits that are required to save money, to, to appreciate that, that, Money doesn't really make you happy. What what makes you happy is, you know, once you get beyond the basics and the necessities of life, finding ways to enjoy what you have. And, you know, it's it's hard to get people to accept, you know, more money would make me happier. Well, it could, but there are other things to make you happy too. And, and so cre- creating that kind of list of values and prioritizing the values in such a way that money is not at the top, I think that is, is, is equally as important to, you know, trying to dis, you know, trying to minimize the, 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 the view of wealth because in a way accumulating wealth is something to be, you know, proud of. And it's something to, as absolutely. long as it doesn't go to your head. No, absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, um, yeah. Accumulating wealth is a nice scorecard with that level of humility. It's a it's an it's an amazing scorecard that, you know, even if you don't have the humility, other people outside looking in in a sense evaluate you that way. And um and and, and ultimately again you're just again not wanting to have that skewed effect. Uh, Mike Tyson talked about um how he had in a sense he in prison was his first piece 
and now we see Mike Tyson out here adding a lot of value. I'm not, you know, nobody in a sense knows what he's making, but he, I think he, he's running a cannabis company from what I understand or a high level partner. I don't know if he's brought in. And it sounds like he's very intimately involved. So I don't think he's just brought in as the celebrity person, if you will, because it's just me outside looking in, but just, even highlighting Mike Tyson's trajectory and the things he talk about now, he, I think he understands money from the perspective that you and Eli are both speaking to, and he gladly, you know, in a sense, feels that he's in a better space than just being tied to the money as being his value. Because at one time, that was his focus, and he took, caused him a lot of heartache. We are at the top of the hour. I see a lot, couple of callers. We will allow y'all to get in after the break. We'll be right back. Well, all I ask. Is that you think? Hey, where did you get that hat and t-shirt? I like that. Oh, I got this at moneymotivation.com. It's fresh, right? Yes, and I love the message on it, too. You are the hustle, huh? That's what the shirt says. I am the hustle. They embody the entrepreneurial spirit, and what I like the most it's more than a brand. It's a lifestyle for those who want to put in the work and expect to have the final things in life. I also follow them on Instagram. Check this post out. If you believe money is the root of all evil, you're using it wrong? Or how about this one? Excuses made $0 an hour. I like those. What's their IG? At moneymotivation.co. But do they have any ladies gear? Yes, you're going to love the clothing line they got for the ladies. Matter of fact, Pull up their website, moneymotivation.com, and I'm going to get you a few things so we can both look like money. Everywhere I go, go, and everywhere I be, be, I don't even talk, talk, they still know it's me. Because I look like money, smell like money, talk like money, even walk like money. Truth Seekers, please understand, Mental Dialogue is much more than just a talk show. Each and every Saturday, we communicate with you for two reasons, to dialogue and connect. On the dialogue side, we cater to you intellectual outcasts who feel you have no place for honest discourse on race, sex, culture, and African-American business. On the Connect side, we've created a community where you can connect with experts specifically in finance, whether personal or business, and mental health, whether it's trauma or to optimize performance, along with all the other skill sets from other MD community members. Our mission was to create a virtual nationwide neighborhood where African-Americans learn to trade ideas, goods, and services through social media, meetups, and this podcast. To become a neighbor of the Mental Dialogue Community Club, please visit us at mentaldialogue.com. We are better with you than we are without you. We can be neighbors even though we don't live next to each other. Hashtag raise the culture. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. Again, I am your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. That is the goal, to raise the culture with these very necessary conversations on race, sex, culture, and business in the African-American community. This morning's discussion question, can we train our seeds to be generational wealth holders? Our special guest, John Hall, venture capitalist, as well as Eli Marcus, author of Secure the Throne. see a couple of callers out there. If you're trying to get in, please press one. I want to continue going through the steps. One of these numbers I see quite often, so I don't know if they know. I'm going to just check. Area code 850-600. Are you trying to get in on the conversation or just listening? Just wanted to check. Just listening. Okay, just check. I just wanted to make sure. All right, with that said, let's keep going, continuing on these steps that you wrote in this post, Eli. If you are just now tuning in, um, actually, okay, somebody is trying to jump in. Let me get them in, then we'll go start back with these um 
these steps that Eli wrote in this post. All right, area code 615, last three, 323. Give us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents or question on this morning's discussion question. Uh, well, good morning, brothers. Uh, my name is Philo the Great, man. I'm from Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, the topic, I just called in to the topic. Pastor Don Jr. sent me this link, and I am digging the topic. I wanted to chime in and say, man, in order for us to teach our kids generational wealth, we must be working toward it. Uh, we must be doing the steps as the parents as the grown-ups, as the leaders, to be doing the work ourselves and give them something to look at and strive for and just telling them. Uh, you can tell anyone anything, but if you're not putting in the work, it may fall on deaf ears, opposed to you doing the work, and you might never say nothing to them, and the one of them kids or someone can look up to you and say, I want to be like that, and you never even talk to them, but they see how you move. They see you doing the right thing. So for me, I am a father, eight-year-old daughter, and I'm leading by example. That's first. And I'm taking care of my immediates, those that are immediately signed to my kingdom, nephews, daughter, you know what I'm saying, close friends, relatives, nieces, nephews. Those, those, are, those are signed to my kingdom. So I'm starting there. And then from there, wherever, wherever we go, whoever else we grab, that's what it is. But that, that's, I, I enjoy that topic, brother, but we got to do the work. Hey, thank you for the three cents. I'll say this to you very briefly, um, that um, I definitely understand nothing beats demonstration to you. Too. That's how I kind of understand what you're saying. Um, however, I will highlight um, every you, there is information that can be passed along, and sometimes you can train people, although that wasn't your experience. I'm not saying that it stands up to experience, um, but there are, I would say, maybe some parents out there listening that can still get some game and insight from this show pass that seed along in a manner that helps their children, in a sense, even leap beyond them. Maybe their children become the first, quote, generational wealth holder based on, you know, getting some games. So I'm just saying it is possible, but I do agree nothing beats demonstration. So, yeah, if you're living it, you obviously can speak to it better than those who have not done it. So I don't disagree with that. But just wanted to kind of throw that out there. Thank you for your three cents this morning. Um, John or Eli, any thoughts about what the caller said, or we'll go to your next step, um, number five. If it's up to you, either one of you, if you had any thoughts about what. Uh, what no, I, I, I just want to tell him thank you for calling in, and I definitely appreciate your uh, your input and your feedback, and um, I definitely like the energy and the overall point that he was making. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I, I would just like to say I I I like to applaud the brother uh, because the truth is, and and I don't want to bore you with statistics, but you know it, it turns out that. There was a study done by this group called Balance that said in 2018, black households had 11% of the wealth of the medium white household. That's $12,900 versus $143,000. So we definitely need more brothers like the gentleman who called in who are living it. And and that's the way you, you know, like you say, you live by example. You pay, you pass it on. To your children, not just by telling them, but by showing them. So, I applaud the brother. No, absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm. If whatever pushback I put, I would say that was ten percent to his ninety percent. Because absolutely, we got to move that eleven percent. Um, you can't bore us with statistics. Um, John, I've listened to a few shows where people 
typically tell me I bring too many statistics to the table, so you can't do that on this show. So, um, th- now, thank you for the, for yeah, reminding of us that, of that that unfortunate study when you think of it from a collective standpoint. But individually, if that what that brother just said, if more people would take that notice, we can move that 11% to 12% to 13%. And that's my goal by bringing people like you and Eli on is to encourage those who are ready to take the actual steps, the actual demonstration, the actual work, and, and do it in a sense um, it, it, you could be blind to what's happening with the culture and become the very thing that you know you need to. So, yeah, I definitely want to say I um, value what that brother had to say as well. The next step um, just to keep this thing moving um, that you wrote, Eli, again, in this piece, the steps to training the next generation, learn about how to structure a trust, structure it in a way where certain financial releases are not released until specific goals have been reached and until offsprings turn to a specific age or milestone in their life. John, I'm going to start with you because I'm pretty sure, I'm assuming, making a small, small assumption here, um, this is something that I would assume that you understand very well, so I would love to hear your thoughts on it. And for maybe, and think of it this way, too, for somebody who, who maybe never heard this step, kind of, be, if you will, just slightly granular into what releasing certain things or specific goals later in the process, kind of think of it, in the broader sense from, again, maybe somebody who's never heard this before, but your thoughts on that, on that step from Eli, John. Okay. So first of all, uh, again, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still in the mode of agreeing with what Eli said. Uh, <laughs> I definitely believe that, you know, trust is something that typically comes, you know, as part of a will and testament, your final will and testament, which everybody should have, by the way, everybody should have a will. So your your heirs don't have to go through that estate process where they got to go through probate court just to divide up your your assets. Uh, and so you make life a lot easier for your relatives when you have a tr- a will. But part of uh, what can can result in again further clarifying how you want you know your funds to be distributed. If you have, if you don't have a, tr- if you have a trust, what that really means is you put your your heirs in a position where, like for instance, if you have a house and it's it, that's that's going to be there after you died, then essentially your heirs have to sell the house to divide up the money. Okay, you have multiple mm-hmm. heirs, and and a trust puts you in a position of saying this is the way, this is exactly the way I want. The, the funds to be distributed and you can say whether the house is sold or not but the uh-huh. point being you're, you're laying out funds and you can also protect things like marital uh, marital income disputes one of the children gets married and then you know they get divorced and the husband marries somebody else You your money can end up going to the uh-huh. married spouse's spouse because you didn't have a trust so uh, there, there are a lot of reasons for a trust, but beyond that, you mentioned the the idea of, of releasing things later. Uh, going back to Eli's point, if you have a, a, a daughter who's 18 years old and you die and she gets all the money at 18, she's not ready. She, she doesn't have the maturity to utilize those funds efficiently. So you might say, well, if you... If you if you graduate in the top ten percent of your class, you get some of the money goes to pay for your college education. 
So then if you, you have another release that says if you graduate in the top 10% of your class in college, you get the other third of your money. And then you might wait another five years until she's 27 to give her the last third. But the point being, you want to release the money or whatever the resources are at a point where the, the heir is, is mature enough and there's some evidence they have to meet some milestone to be mature enough to to use the funds wisely or else they're going to fall into the trap that Eli described and they're going to not know what to do with the money. They're going to spend it and it'll be gone in five years. I love it. Eli, add to, again, um, this step, which I love, add your thoughts to, again, your own right. steps. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I You know, as I wrote, um, I just think it's wise. You know, have certain time stamps and timelines and milestones that have to be reached before you release uh, things to your offspring. Um, it also gives them something to look forward to. It also gives them, like, a reward system for good behavior. Um, so whether that's uh, graduating the top 10% or it just could be uh, you get an investment amount of money, but you have to use it to start a business. And it must be vetted and verified that you are starting a real business and you have all the systems in place. Um, to start the business. So, um, you know, maybe it could be that, you know, but you mm-hmm. have to accomplish something um, in order to, uh, in order to, 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 for this, these funds to be released to you. Um, another thing you like, oh, sorry. Like, oh, yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Sorry. No, I was just going to say like marriage could be a milestone um, after mm-hmm. you get married or, or, you know, after you have your second child. There's so many ways you can play around with this. Right. Um, and I don't want my offspring to live for the money. I actually want them to make their own money. I just want Absolutely. this to be cushioned. Right. right. That's it. No, I love it. We're, we've got about a minute and a half. Um, I, w- I would love for you to highlight this part because you say learn about how to structure a trust. Um, um, in your eyes, obviously the internet's available to everyone in the world, but if you could even just, or even John, either one of you make a recommendation to how does somebody even learn? Because what you're saying, I don't think anybody could listen to it. Like, oh, that sounds great. But a lot of people don't even know, in a sense, where to start even doing the search on the internet. For, for that. So any yeah. just even quick advice yeah, on where to start learning these things. My, my, my quick advice would be to, to engage a professional service provider, uh, preferably a financial advisor who does this every day to do it for you because there's a series of Q&A they go through to help you, you know, make the right trade-off decisions. It's not like filling out a form. It's really an interview and, and the expertise mm-hmm. of the financial advisor would be helpful in helping you make the right decision. Uh, any thoughts or any, any, any advice for anyone out there listening in your opinion, Eli, as far as where to look, learn? This yeah, I agree. Out? Yeah, just, just consult someone who knows what they're doing, um, who's done it before, who has good reviews. Um, that's the best pathway to go is, is, you know, you can learn about it on Google, YouTube, or whatever, just to kind of get a, a basic introduction to how to, mm-hmm. how to you know, create your trust. But um, consulting a service provider is the best thing to do. No, absolutely. And I'll throw this out. Just had a conversation last night with the um, Society of Black Agents, and we're, it was mostly it was insurance agents. So we were talking mostly about insurance, and even the idea of um, having your trust, you know, life and po- life policy, life insurance policy being owned by a trust. We just had that. I remember that dialogue came up, and it was a key thought. Just to throw it, throw it out there, just to give another seed. So life insurance doesn't fall under probate. Anyway, again, you want to avoid probate by having a will and testament to John's point. 
Um, but in the event for life insurance, it's not always necessary. But there, but when you work, your, you have to really kind of reach a certain means before it makes sense, quote unquote, to have your trust on your life insurance. That was just something that I had never heard before, and just thought I would throw it out today as a as a side note for people to research. All right, we'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. Hey, Smithoff, where you find that Prince Sign of the Times on vinyl at? Real talk, you got a dope vinyl collection. What, you been collecting them, like, over the years or something? No, actually, I just started my collection. But my man Tobago over at DBS Sounds, he be hooking me up. You remember DBS Sounds? On the south side? They still around? I figured most of the record stores in Atlanta be closed by now. Hey, vinyl is the new wave, and DBS Sounds got the best collection in town. You can still go there and flip through vinyl. They still got CDs and mixtapes, too. Let me check the IG page at DBS Sounds ATL. They still be having artists in stores and everything. Hey, you want to run by there? Hey, man, I ain't got time right now. I got to go back to Cali tomorrow, but I might have to catch them next time. Man. Oh, nah, you good. Even when you get home, you can just shop at their online store at dbssounds.com. They'll ship directly to you anywhere in the country. Matter of fact, jump on dbssounds.com on your phone and order straight from there. Word? Hey, I'm about to get my music game up. Hey, what's their address? In case I get a chance to swing by there, I'm, I'm going to pick up that new Kendra Lamar CD. Oh, they at 6604 Highway 85, Riverdale, Georgia. Bet. Please leave me alone. Lisa, please. I love you. What about the woman you're supposed to marry? I do not love her. Why do you think I came to America? Oh, your father told me to sell your royal oath. Oh, no. I came to America to find my bride. I came to Queens to find you. So why did you lie to me then? Why didn't you just tell me you were friends? Because I wanted you to love me for who I am. I'm not sure who you are. I'm the man you fell in love with. Should it matter that I'm a friend? Just tell me you didn't love me when you thought I was a goaster. And I will never bother you again. This morning's discussion question, can we train our seeds to be generational wealth holders? Apologize for that bad audio. It's the best I could find, but it was a way to interrupt these steps that we're getting from Eli's post um, to talk about something that I would offer is very necessary in understanding, in my opinion, and I want to definitely hear Eli and John, your thoughts on, if you, I hope you could gather some of that cut, but it was from coming to America and obviously for, for Fictitious movie uh, where Eddie Murphy plays a prince of Zamunda, Zamunda, however you call it, and 
a very typical American movie fashion style. He's willing to renounce his crown because he loves this American woman so. And so um, I don't think we could have a conversation about passing around generational wealth and not understanding the distortion of, mis- in my opinion, a misplacement of love before legacy versus legacy before love, which is, you know, in a sense, how families have, in a sense, stayed intact and passed down wealth. Again, I'm obviously putting in my opinion to this conversation, but I was interested in hearing from both Eli and John your thoughts on that cut and even my opinion, if you will. But Eli, we'll start with you. Sure, sure. So, yes, um, I, I'm i not sure if you should put love before legacy or legacy before love. What I would say, like, as a father, um, I think if you do things, right you know if you live in the right neighborhood and you form alliances with the right family and you support your children in selecting the right friends that are compatible and aligned with their values you know not not forceful but just you put them in the right spaces to make these connections naturally they might fall in love before they secure their own personal legacy in addition to the family legacy and that'd be okay it doesn't matter because mm-hmm. whoever they're falling in love with likely is already aligned with your family values, so that's okay. And both mm-hmm. families can kind of support them through that while they're secure their legacy in addition to their respective family legacies. No, I love that. Love that. Um, John, just again, I want to make a quick interruption because, um, again, in my mind, um, one of the easiest ways to protect generational wealth typically or sometimes these trusts do include, again, Eli even highlighted the concept of, you know, when there's marriage, maybe there's a release and things of that nature or whatever. But sometimes in the event that somebody unfortunately skips out on a will and testimony uh, in the latter generations, again, trying to protect your own wealth so that it doesn't go to the spouse's spouse, as you mentioned as an example, um, marriage in itself has some parameters to protect wealth in that manner. So that's why I wanted to bring it up. And, again, you just hear this fictitious character saying, hey, I'll renounce my crown, you know, for, for, for love, if you will. And it's not to denounce love, but it's just to bring yeah. that aspect into today's conversation. Your thoughts, John? Well, uh, you know, I, um, first of all, I have a wife who uh, <laughs> has, has very, very strong opinions about the degree to which either of us uh, interferes with our children's love life uh, because, you know, uh, we we were introduced to each other at very, very young ages before she was born. But the, the point I want to make is that uh, I have an experience because my, my son ended up uh, dropping out of college when he got his wife pregnant. And what I remember appreciating was that he wasn't looking for a way to run away mm-hmm. and not take responsibility. He was willing to subject himself to diminishing his future wealth and not continuing his education uh, in order to be a man and, hold, and, and, and take care of his child. And so I could have opined this particular uh female uh, was not from America and I could have had all kinds of reasons to discourage that relationship and I kept my fat mouth shut. Um, 
I believe I believe when it comes to love, and one of the things I said to him when he shared to me some, you know, some areas where she wasn't really, you know, showing the maturity he was looking for. I said, look, let me tell you something. I said, he is is less than 20. He is not who she's going to be when she's 25. And mm-hmm. so the reality is when it comes to matters of love, I stay out of it because I, you know, I again, I'm very spiritually uh, inclined, and I believe the Father knows what he's doing in these matters. And they, they end up turning out turning out fine. Now they're a happily married couple. They've been together for 17 years, and they have a wonderful, my granddaughter, and they're doing very well, even though he'd never finished college, but he's just, you know, doing very well. He's an entrepreneur and uh, a manager. The bottom line is I think if you give your kids the right value mm-hmm. and the right habits and the right mindset before they reach that age where they're about to get married, they'll turn out okay. But I do believe it's up to the parents to instill those values and we've already talked about what they are. Some of them are the same ones you, you want to instill for you know generational wealth, but character, you know, is a big one. And right. uh, I was so proud of my son that uh, you know, I did not put any pressure on him to do anything. He made all those decisions himself so to me you know he was not he put love over legacy and uh i never felt i never uh uh held it against it on my on, on as it related to me i didn't get married till i was 29 <laughs> 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 i put legacy over love uh you know it could work out either way it could nice. work out fine either way Nice. Yeah, that's why we do the dialogues. Yeah, I'm, I'm asking to hear different perspectives. Um, Eli, any, any thoughts about what John had to say before we go to the next one? Just wondering if he had might have maybe another a second thought after hearing what he had to say. No, I think that's a, a you know a, a solid belief system. Um, if you put the values in the in the child early on, even if they deviate from it a little bit, they'll usually come back home. They'll usually nice. they'll usually find the balance back Absolutely. to the. To the value. So yeah, I, I think no. it's a solid belief system. No, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, again, we're just having just dialoguing about perspectives. All right, let's go to step number six, uh, Eli, if you will. Um, it says, as a condition of your trust, auto invest in safe, secured investments so the trust is earning money even while you're dead to prepare for your children's offspring and their offspring under the same guidelines and age life milestone requirements for release of finances. An example of a safe investing is renting out multifamily units in real estate. Six is really more of an, in my opinion, is just more specific explanation of number five. Uh, but again, I would still like to hear your quick thoughts on it, Eli, and then we'll go to number seven before um, I get some more thoughts from John. Yeah, yeah. I, I just think it's, you know, I'm, I'm a big supporter of putting money to work. Um, don't have too much money just sitting somewhere locked away. Um, I guess it's my thing. Put it to work, put it okay. to work. So I think even from a trust capacity, um, you can buy some real estate and have it managed by, you know, a real estate company or some sort of management company where you don't even have to see the property. They manage everything. Um, but it's not even about, oh, I'm trying to make as much money as possible off this property. It's just about mm-hmm. I am making money off this property. I put money to work. So even if it's not, a tremendous amount every month is put is being put to work, and that's your offspring, and that's their children, their children's children. So I think it's just a it's a wise thing to do. 
Um, so that, that's yeah, I, I'm for that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, and above wise, I think um, when you when when you hopefully when you're that thoughtful, again thinking that much for your children's children, as you said, uh, I think doing that is a step that hopefully some one of or two of your offsprings or whatever you know however many you may have, and you know you kind of got that one that you're eyeing to you know have more probably involvement in the trust than the other if there's multiple children, um, they end up seeing the value and then I oh okay we you know grandkids can say oh. We're still getting money because of that. So it's all part of that training, if you will. Like you said, it's not about the amount of money, but just by the fact that you were that forward thinking, it becomes a cultural norm within your generational seeds, if you will, that, hey, we have to be that forward thinking. Grandfather or grandmother or whatever the case may be was that forward thinking, and we're still getting some funds based on them being that forward thinking. That's kind of how I look at that. Number seven, encourage and provide educational resources for your offspring's to start making their own investments early or start businesses before they're an adult. This will significantly reduce the chances of them squandering their family's worth the way in adulthood if they learn financial responsibility and consequences early. When or if they fall in their early business pursuits, don't rush to save them. Let them feel and experience their failures so they can practice picking themselves up on their own and develop the need to prove themselves to themselves as competent, competent and capable. Um, John, I'm going to let you give your thoughts to Eli's step number seven. Okay, well, you know, this is, is right in my wheelhouse, so, and, and, and I happen to happen to believe specific, specifically where he said, you know, early start a business before they are adults. I think I shared with you, uh, Montoya, that I have just gotten involved with this Tech Stars Atlanta mm-hmm. uh, program mm-hmm. where I, I am mentoring uh, founders who are starting businesses. They're invariably seed stage or early stage, uh, mainly seed stage businesses. And some of them are very young. Some of them are still in college. I am nice. a strong believer, even though conventional wisdom says, you know, you go to work for a corporation and you get, you know, 10,000 hours worth of experience, then you come out and you start a business. Well, you know, that's not what's happening anymore. Right now, right. people are starting this, and it's it's the the value of, as, as Eli mentioned, failing early, frankly. And I, I don't mean to encourage folks to think that, they're going to fail their first time, but it's very, very possible they will. But it's better to to get those failures under your belt early when you can afford to, you can afford to lose because you don't have that much to lose. But you also right. are learning early how to bounce back. And uh, so, I happen to believe entrepreneurship is, you know, the source is, is one of the most important sources of, of the revitalization of the black economy. And uh, so I, I strongly encourage entrepreneurship at all levels, all age groups, but I particularly like this idea of encouraging our youth to, to get involved in businesses early. And uh, frankly, I'm doing that with my granddaughter who's 17. Beautiful. And uh, all, all, of, all of my kids are entrepreneurs, even though I could not get any of them to major in business. I just took a step back. But again, it was what they saw growing up that caused them all to become entrepreneurs. Now, a real-life example of of your edict, uh, Eli. I didn't know, you know, I knew about him getting involved in Start Tech, I mean, in um, Tech Start. 
Uh, but yeah, hearing here is a real life example of exactly what you're talking about, Eli. So beautiful. We all forget the break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. Hey, where did you get that hat and t-shirt? I like that. Oh, I got this at moneymotivation.com. It's fresh, right? Yes, and I love the message on it, too. You are the hustle, huh? That's what the shirt says. I am the hustle. They embody the entrepreneurial spirit, and what I like the most it's more than a brand. It's a lifestyle for those who want to put in the work and expect to have the final things in life. I also follow them on Instagram. Check this post out. If you believe money is the root of all evil, you're using it wrong? Or how about this one? Excuses made $0 an hour. I like those. What's their IG? At moneymotivation.co. But do they have any ladies gear? Yes, you're going to love the clothing line they got for the ladies. Matter of fact, Pull up their website, moneymotivation.com, and I'm going to get you a few things so we can both look like money. Everywhere I go, go. And everywhere I be, be. I don't even talk, talk. They still go with me. Because I look like money. Smell like money. Talk like money. Even walk like money. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. Moneymotivation.com. Moneymotivation.com. The longtime sponsor of the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, along with LNG Technologies, wanted to highlight, again, their longtime support, but also encourage you to get the hottest streetwear brand in the land, moneymotivation.com. This morning's discussion question, can we train our seeds to be generational wealth holders? Special guest, John Hall and Eli Marcus. I wanted to throw a little monkey wrench in the conversation. We'll continue with these last couple of steps, um, if you will. But I wanted to play just a unique cut. Every time I'm doing the show, something happens during the week that I'm viewing that always applies. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think this necessarily directly applies, but I just wanted to kind of – I would be interested in hearing y'all thoughts. And, and it's a cut I'm about to play from um, Guru, which is longtime engineer of Jay-Z. I know most of you know him. Um, Jay-Z. The artist, um, Guru, records a lot of his stuff, produces, helps with music, part of Rock, rock Nation, if you will, if you're familiar with um, that aspect of hip-hop. And anyway, he's um, being interviewed on uh, Matt Hoffman's podcast called, um, I'm sorry, the name slips me right now, Expert Opinion, that's it. So I wanted to play this cut, and, and the reason I'm playing this cut is because, Eli, as you're laying out all of these steps, and they're, they're, they're so forward-thinking, the reality is you never know what your seeds are really going to do. And so this cut really speaks to that concept, and I'll be very interested in hearing yours and John's thoughts to this cut. So we'll start with you, Eli, coming out of this cut. Um, let me cue it up. I thought I had it queued up. Give me one second to cue it up here. Right. Okay, here it is. All right, here we go. We'll be playing chess, and as much as I love chess, then I'll be like, realize that chess is a strategy game, not a life game. Right. Mm-hmm. You, you understand what I mean by you that? You could right? bluff your way through that no, shit. No, 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 no. It's a metaphor. No, no. It's, 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 no, it's a strategy game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's is, not a life game. Not I, game I don't mean to offend people that play chess, because I love chess. But I'm trying to say to you, I'm like, when you play chess, everybody start out with the same pieces. Mm-hmm. That don't happen in real life. 
It's not a life game. There's no there's no war where everybody has the exact same, same resources. Right. Number two, I get to see every move you make. It doesn't happen, happen in either. real life. Right. Yeah, you're right. Number three, every soldier, you, you're the general as the person moving the pieces. Mm-hmm. Every soldier does exactly what you tell them to do. They can't do anything you else. Deviate that doesn't planet. happen in real life. You know how many generals have told a soldier to do something and he do something else? Four. There's no emotion. Because when you lose that no, you don't have to do the point. There's no emotion. No, but when you get scared, you're not. I mean, emotion is huge. This is weird. That's the way I play. No, this is weird. Matt, 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 what I'm trying to tell you is that you would never see this pawn taking out the king. But if you watch The Wire, Kennard took out Omar. Because the king looked over to the side, analyzed, and was like, oh, it's a kid. And he got popped in his head. Boom. Because Kennard looked at him and was like, that's Omar? That's the dude that got the whole city shook? Mm. Chess don't have that in it. A little bit. It it, no, does. it don't. It kind of does. Nobody obey. You obeying every rule. This thing can only move like this. No, the pawn can move however it want to move. Canard can move however he wants to move. You know what? But that's this, why I like checkers. Uh, this is uh, nah, 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 yeah. traps. Argue your point. Argue your point. Argue your point. Certain traps that you can set that you're not going to see. Like if I'm pushing my pieces to the left, but I'm opening up no, spaces. I said, for I my, said it's a strategy game. Yeah, that's what I'm but, saying. But what happens? What happens now? When you pushing that piece, and that piece is in love with the chick from the other side. That's what he said, no emotion. There's no emotion. Oh, right. That's what he said. This is what I'm trying to tell you. Yeah, this, is what we're, this is what Both everybody is being in love with their queen. No, no, no. What happens when, what <laughs> happens, no, what happens when this piece over here, an insignificant piece that you've been telling what to do, is in love with a piece from over there? But that it, happens in chess. It happens in real life. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. Again, I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. Eli, your thoughts. I think you'll see, in my opinion, how it applies um, to our conversation. But just want to hear your thoughts and hearing that. I don't know if you ever heard it, but if it's your first time, just give me your random thoughts to that cut. Yeah, I like it. I, mean, I thought it was a very spirited discussion, and I thought it was a great analogy as well, that life is different from a, a controlled environment. Um, I think that was powerful. I thought it was very powerful. And it just goes to show that in real life, you have to have the skill set of being adaptable, um, uh, being able to learn the landscape of any volatile situation, and you have to think on your, your feet. Um, so I think I appreciate that. John, any thoughts and of how it might relate to today's discussion, if you will? Well, first, uh, I just want to broad, applaud the thinking mentality of the brother who did the analysis of the chess game. <laughs> because no, no he, doubt. he definitely made me think about some things I had not thought about before. But I, I agree with Eli. I mean, I think, you know, and, and those who, of us who've been entrepreneurs, we know that the life of an entrepreneur is a long series of being thrown curveballs. And you you really get used to the fact that, you know, sort of like yesterday I had a really busy day and I had everything all planned and somebody told me there was a hurricane coming and I had to drop everything and go get some gas cans and fill mm-hmm. them up and so 
deck out my generator. It, it took about three hours out of my day. And to me, it was just another day in the life mm-hmm. because we get interrupted with curveballs all the time. And our, our attitude is, is somebody just said adjust, you know, adjust. And that's, that's what we have to do. So I love the analogy. Uh, and he threw out, you know, like multiple types of curveballs, but very, uh, very. And, I, and again, I think it aptly applies to this conversation just from the standpoint of your suge- the suggestions that we've gotten so far. Learn about trust. Go get someone who's been doing it before. All these little small things are the preparation to ensure that your seeds don't go too far astray with the actual wealth. That since you built it up, why let it dissipate, if you will, uh, you know, in one generation because you did not train or because you did not prepare. Uh, so again, that's kind of just you know, I guess my own personal thoughts. Let's go to another step, if you will. Number eight, you wrote Eli. Set a culture in your family where you focus on the substance of things and not just the surface of things. Revoke any spirit of mentality or mentality in your family that focuses too much on materialism and instead intentionally establish a culture that highlights quality life experiences, not stuff. Establish a culture that highlights having a vision, not a dollar amount. Uh, Brother Pierre, I'm going to get to you. I'm sorry about that. I meant to get to you before we uh, before I asked. Before I did number eight, but um, Eli, go ahead and respond, and I'm gonna get to Brother Pierre. He's just trying to get in. Eli, go ahead and just give a response to your number eight. You wrote this. I just want to give okay. your thoughts. Okay, sure, sure, sure. That's true. But and when I wrote that, I'm speaking in terms of prioritizing. Um, I think you should prioritize a vision over a dollar amount, and um, life experiences over materialism. So I think leading into life. Those those things come first, and then the other things come second. I just think, as from a principal perspective, that's a better experience um, for my experience. No, I love it. All right, brother Pianco, we got you live. Sorry about the delay. I meant to get to you. I saw you out there and just missed you. I'm sorry. All right, brother Pianco. Um, I don't know if you're out in St. Louis today. I know you travel to travel around a lot, but give us your three cents this morning or any questions you got. Thanks for calling in, King. No, I I want to make sure I press one. <clears throat> but I just want to ask a simple question. Okay. Is that I hear people speak on entrepreneurs, and I don't even know what it is myself. <laughs> what is an entrepreneur, and why, when people use that word, why don't they, why isn't there some examples of what it is and how to get involved? And, of course, I guess that would require people who are already at that status to explain the things they went through to get involved in their entrepreneurship. And what's the difference between an entrepreneur and a business person? So I'm going to do much. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask John to give a quick shot at it because, again, little 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 side sidebar to what we're doing today. Uh, but, uh, Brother Pjoki, you're a long-time listener, so I don't have a problem jumping over there just to um, – you know, well, t- take a stab at that question. But, John, if you will, uh, what's the difference between you know, it, business entrepreneur is just, The entrepreneur is just another term for business owner. Some people use the term founder. But, it, you know, in, in, in most black businesses are what they call sole proprietorship, and they don't really uh, call themselves entrepreneurs. But the bottom line is somebody who starts a business Either they hire other people as their employees or they could be a single, you know, a single operator 
But it's somebody who runs a business. They, they, they generate a product or a service, and they sell it to other people. And, you know, I mean, examples of it are all over the place. You know, it's from the, the guy who's hawking T-shirts on the corner and the guy who, who has a little coffee shop. I mean, entrepreneurs are the backbone of, of our society and they're, who, who create all the jobs. In, I mean, all the private sector jobs in our economy. No, uh, yeah, and I'll even throw this out just as a, a highlight of that aspect of entrepreneurs being the the backbone, and this is just bringing some numbers into the to the table just to have people think about it if they've never heard these numbers. But for the most part, even in America, a lot of times, uh, well, let me say this to to highlight something that John mentioned earlier: how entrepreneurship could be, in a sense, specifically the backbone in our culture uh, within the America. Eleven percent of Americans are full time entrepreneurs. Newers, and those when you add part-time, it goes to 16%. I like highlighting those numbers because the reality is, to a degree, it is a specific skill set to want to get to the point where you are, especially to the point where you're responsible for others. The majority of entrepreneurs are sole proprietors, just to highlight that, the statistic as well. Um, but getting to the point where you are being responsible for many others um, is, is a very um very respected position to get to, if I could say that in reference to entrepreneurship. We're actually going to go to our last break, and we come back. We'll kind of close out with the last step that um, Eli talked about and get some closing thoughts on this discussion. I will still let people get in. If you're online and interested in asking a question or getting in, the number is 646-787-1691. We'll be right back where all I ask is that you think. LNG Technology Services, we are your industry leader in aircraft and heavy equipment repair services. In commercial business for over 15 years, LNG technicians have over 150 years of equipment-specific knowledge and are known industry-wide for returning worn-out, broken, and overused ground support equipment back to the user in working better than new conditions. For a service job done right at a value unparalleled in the industry, contact LNG Technology Services at 478-781-781. 4860. Again, for a service job done right, that number is 478-781-4860. LNG Technologies is a Mental Dialogue Gold member and proud sponsor of the Mental Dialogue community. If you have a product or service you would like to get out to the smartest audience in all of radio, definitely contact us on mentaldialogue.com. Call me directly, 404-604-9477. We are always looking for sponsors, but if you are an individual and love what we call this the return of intelligent radio, uh, you could also become a supporter at mentaldialogue.com as well as an individual, have a business and would like to advertise with us. Highly recommend the platinum and black levels as we have amazing rates on our advertising um, for our business members that join at the platinum and black level and also have the opportunity to be a part of our mental dialogue masterminds, our black level members get invited to everyone. Our platinum level members get invited to about half that we do every eight weeks. Uh, we have one tomorrow on business acquisitions. I've already taken two hours of your time, John, but I know you were able to be a part of one of our masterminds. Um, if you're able to jump in tomorrow, I have a couple of slots still available. Um, I'll even throw that out to you, Eli, because I think you've purchased businesses in the past. But, again, it's just real dialogue about 
maneuvering from building a business to um, being able to buy businesses and get returns on investment, which is another level of thinking within the entrepreneur space, if you will. So again, I'll got a couple of slots. We'll invite y'all if y'all want to take advantage of that tomorrow night at 8 p.m. Um, I will offer that to you. This morning's discussion, can we train our seeds to be generational wealth holders? We've been going through a post that Eli Marcus, author of Secure the Throne, um, put out on Facebook, and it's been a beautiful discussion just highlighting um, his ideas for how to train the next generation, and we'll get to this last step, which is Number nine, make things fun. In your children's money-making efforts, make it a fun experience. Just because the education system teaches us we must bore children to death to educate them does not make it true. Lemonade stands, beach gigs, trading, online businesses, etc., can all be very fun and fulfilling experiences. It can also be painful when you lose money or miss deadlines, but that's exactly what children need to feel to get better at their craft. Eli, I'll let you jump in on your last step. Yes, yes. Uh, I, I agree. You know, children need to have fun. Really, I think adults, too. I think that's a lesson for mm-hmm. grown men and women. Um, learning to have fun with the, project, with, the, with the process, learning to have fun with challenges. Um, and I've been practicing that a lot lately. Um, regardless of what the challenge is, dance with it. Have a little fun with it while you're trying to also solve it. Um, so try to not be in panic mode all the time. And I think, of course, that's a good lesson to uh, pass down the children as well, is to, to have fun with their challenges. It doesn't have to be a draining experience. It can be serious, but can al- it can also be fun. And um, also to the question earlier, I would even consider an entrepreneur to be a person who monetizes opportunity. And they may be flexible with their ability to monetize opportunity. A business person is, is someone who's probably more organizational focused where mm-hmm. they have a, an exact organization that they're building, and it is a business. So an entrepreneur is someone who's a little bit more fluid in their ability to monetize opportunities. They can be having a conversation, and they'll make money off that conversation because they put two and two together, and boom, the deal closed. Right. Um, so, yeah, but, yeah, making things fun is important. That's what I have to say about that. No, I love it. Um, John, again, you've – as you said in your bio, if you will, seven times you've been running organizations, still running some and building another one as we speak. Um, when you hear that thought and again, having and, and not having, but currently encouraging your grandchildren to take these steps and the rest of your seeds have already taken the entrepreneur steps. Um, what are your feelings on this last step that Eli put in training seeds for generational wealth holding? You, you might start thinking that, that Eli and I got together before this this uh, <laughs> podcast because I'm once again agreeing with everything he just said. Um, I, uh, I I mentioned that I, I'm deep into kind of the culture game when it comes to business, and in my last uh, endeavor, uh, among our team members, I was so focused on everybody enjoying themselves that I claim to be the number one stand-up comic on the team, and there were 12 of us. <laughs> and But I didn't dominate. I, I allowed others to try to take the crown. And so before about a year, everybody on the team claimed to be the number one stand-up comic <laughs> in the company. And the point was, but I would tell people, humor them and laugh at their jokes because it keeps morale up and it, it reduces the number of raises I have to give out. 
But the point is that I totally agree that, especially for youth, you know, it's, I, I, I hate to admit that it's true that I, I, I had my granddaughter again was telling me she, she came home early the other day because it was boring. And, you know, you need to make it interesting. And making it fun is a way to make it interesting. So, again, I'm totally agreeing with Eli. You just he knocked another one out of the park. No, I love it. Love it, love it. I definitely want to get you two connected specifically, um, knowing that, again, I think you heard, you know, obviously for the first time, but Eli is uh, quite often a new founder in the tech space. So I just I want to make sure that y'all know each other personally for whatever that means. And, uh, and by nature, I'm a connector. Uh, I connect people and get out the way. You know, y'all decide if y'all like each other or not. That's not my business. Um, but I definitely, yeah, I, definitely I, I definitely would like to connect with Eli. Very impressed with the way you think, brother. Absolutely, and I'm I'm totally down with that. I would love to have you just in the network, you know, just to discuss anything. Um, you, you're free sure. to call me if you need advice or feedback on anything. I'm sure Montoya set it up, and um, I yeah, definitely yeah, appreciate sure, you yeah. giving us your time. No, absolutely, okay. absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is just me, um, you know, making sure I make sure people understand that we're not just a talk show. The dialogue and connect is real, and so I do the connections live on air whenever they, I know they're possible, so that people understand they didn't just hear a talk show only. Again, not to knock anyone else, but you know that that is our niche, that is our difference: dialogue and connect. We are not just a talk show. Um, as I always say, the comment I get the most is, "I was taking notes today." And I'm like, okay, that's not the, the, the normal talk show, so we're not that. Um, so, again, just highlighting that and, and really gladly being able to connect you guys because I, anytime I see anybody in in the, um, if you say, I'll use the old term, Rolodex, if you will, that, that we've been able to create by having not only, because this show is really just an extension to the club. The club is where the value's at. And so anytime I see two people that are new, that well, Eli's been with us for a minute, and you know, I've been a part of our circle for a minute. He's added a lot of value to us. But if I could connect people, whether you're members or not, I'm going to connect you because um, that's what we do. So definitely wanted to highlight that. Uh, one other quick thought that I meant to mention earlier when I played the um, Zamunda cut, if you will, and this is just a personal idea. And I just wanted to hear y'all thoughts on this. Um, and then we'll kind of close out this show. We only got a few minutes. If somebody wants to jump in at 646-787-1691, we might take a quick call. Um, but with that said, one thought that I meant to ask after the, um, again, just highlighting the love and the legacy and the quote-unquote idea of marriage, which is a topic that we t- highlight a lot on this show. Um, I remember one time I got into a dialogue with one of one of my guests that's been on the show plenty of times, Maria Lord, someone I highly respect, her brilliant, brilliant-minded queen. And um, we had a dialogue one time on Facebook, and she was highlighting um, someone like a, a P. Diddy, if you will, with his level of wealth. She could understand and foresee, in her opinion, why someone like that might decide, as he hasn't, to never get married. And she was just giving her perspective on how that could make sense at his level of wealth, uh, you know, not wanting to, in a sense, put it at risk and all that kind of thing. And um, I remember just you know, pushing back from, you know, again, just us having a dialogue. It's not about him personally, definitely, and you know, have no opinions about how that man chooses to live. But I wanted to throw out this thought. As we were going through that dialogue, I remember concluding this. I was like, yeah, while he has enough wealth and it looks like with his children, he's also, like you, John, trained his sons from what we can see publicly to learn how to make their own money to a degree and sometimes are part of what he does. So, again, applaud 
what we can see publicly, if you will. Again, this is not about him personally. This is a bigger thought. And what I thought in the dialogue with her, I was like, as as good as we can see what he's done as far as his seeds go, um, I, I thought to myself and said, I think I don't know if I ever said it to her, but if his sons, in a sense, were to follow his lead and choose that same path, I could see his children, if you will, to a degree, easily dissipating whatever wealth has been built up from the standpoint of he takes care of two to three families. And I'm not saying that that in itself is a problem. I don't have an issue. We have, you know, just to be real clear, I'm not making a, a point about having two or three families, but without marriage, that is an easy way to, to, to get rid of generational funds. So I just wanted to hear both of y'all thoughts on that. John, your thought real quick and Eli, a quick thought, and we'll close this thing out. Well, of great wealth. And I think he's been married before, right? I don't think Diddy's ever been officially married, if I remember correctly. Okay. Well, my, my, my view of people, my experience of people of great wealth is that there are many variables that affect their decisions about marriage and about investments. And without having, you know, inside information, I, I prefer not to opine. No, absolutely. And, again, I'm not even talking about him personally. It was just my idea of, um, in a sense, if the C's after you, again, take Diddy out of it. I was just using him as an example. Yeah, take Diddy out of it because, again, it's not about him. But if your C's or uh, nobody in your – if nobody in your – after you even conceptualizes how marriage can play a part in wealth and you just spread the C's throughout everyone (laughs) – what does that look let like me, for the next generation? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Let me let, let me give you one more sentence, and I'll go back to the issue of. But by the time they get to be 20 years old, you should have imparted into them the values, and the habits, and the mindset that will carry them through their adult life. You're still there for them. Foundational values that should carry. No, sounds good. Eli, any thoughts to that? Again, that was just a thought I had in that dialogue with your right. sister. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I honestly believe that because, you know, I'm 34 years old, and I definitely have had my fun before I got married. By the way, I am married, and I have a one-year-old son. So I had my fun before I got married, and I dated around and had a good time. But as I've matured and gotten older. Oh, his phone dropped, y'all. Got a couple of minutes, so we'll see if he gets back in. It happens. Technology, like I said, technology is great until it, until it doesn't work. So we'll see. Hopefully, he'll get back in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I've, yeah, I've I, enjoyed I, this conversation very much. Just kind of just highlighting that while we got a minute, about about a minute and a half, and see if he gets back in. But go ahead, John. If any any quick thoughts, um, well, I don't know if you have I, anything you put out publicly. If there's anything you want to share publicly, you don't have to. I just want to make sure I give you that opportunity if you do. But go ahead, John. Yeah, no, I'll just go back to that point. I mean, obviously, you know, there are a lot of studies that show that that men live longer when they're married. <laughs> so, so, you know, I'm, I'm I'm not sure how many outliers there are for that, but the bottom line is there's a lot of there are a lot of health benefits to being married, regardless to your wealth circumstance. Uh, yeah, very, definitely, there's definitely a win for, for you know for. For men, without a question, it's definitely a win. Um, gigolos die alone or in jail. <laughs> so, 
and, yeah. and, 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 I, and I have to be honest, you know, just for anybody who doesn't know, I, I got to figure this thing out before I'm one of them, one of them dying alone gigolos. Uh-oh, uh-oh. See, I didn't know I was, I didn't know I was talking about uh, anybody on the phone. Oh, I don't, I, I, I own, I own my shortcomings and, and try to make sure the next generation does not follow suit. Uh, and, yeah. and, and, you know, and I, I got, I got, and I got a window to not end up that way. So we are definitely out here searching for the wife, if you will. But yeah, I am the single, single male of this group. Uh, we like, we're not going to get Eli back in, but I enjoy the conversation. Thank you for the time. I'm going to reach back out to get y'all connected and let me know if you want to jump in tomorrow. I know we're taking up a lot of time, but thank you so much this morning, John. My pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we out of here, y'all. See y'all next Saturday. Definitely pass this along, this show along to others. People need this information. All I ask is that you think.